This is mine. Good evening, church. Man, it's a privilege uh, to be preaching with you guys to, tonight. My first, let's say, Willow's sermon. So let's hope it goes well. But let me introduce you. Let me introduce you quickly to my, to my little family. Uh, so my wife is in front. Uh, my name is Michelle Zitzman. Um, if you could put the yes. Yeah, I know I got lucky. I'll take that one. But... Um, yeah, and on, on my right hand side, obviously, our two pugs that we uh, adopted from Pug Rescue, Bruno and Brittany. Um, they previously, uh, so Bruno is named after my favorite soccer player, Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> love it. There we go. I love it. Yes, and I'm here with you guys tonight knowing that it's the Car Carabao Cup final that started 25 minutes ago, um, and uh, my phone is on airplane mode. Please don't show me things or whatever. Um, we're going to take this. We're going to take this smoothly. So hopefully tonight will be well. It will, it will go well. We are ending off with our miracles series, and tonight we will be speaking about raising Lazarus from the dead. And um, before we jump into that, obviously um, I'll have to give you some bit of background about the book itself, John. And uh, because John is the only one of the Gospels that recalls the story of Lazarus uh, that was raised from the dead, whereby the other Gospels only referenced Lazarus and his two sisters and the relationship Jesus had with them. Now, obviously, through John's book, he mainly addresses believers who needed to be strengthened in their faith. Hence the fact that this book is the last gospel as well as being the last book, along with the book of Revelations to be, to be written. So the reality is we're looking at 90 AD more or less when this book was published. And John was writing to the believers at that time that was going through quite a tough time. They went through turmoil. They went through trials and tribulations. If you know the, the story of the emperor Nero at the time, it was tough. He was literally persecuting Christians as well, burning them as street lamps, uh, to give you an idea. So it, it was a very tough time. So... John obviously wrote this book from the island Patmos, and there's seven things, main, main things that John the Apostle was trying to establish with his book with regards to Jesus and his identity. The first thing was Jesus being the Son of Man as referred to by Daniel and his vision in the Old Testament. The second thing is Jesus as being the bread of life as referenced in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll remember that, that scenario that happened in the, in the desert where Jesus was defending his position from a place where he said, man shall not live from bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So obviously John referenced to that. Thirdly, Jesus as being the light of the world as referenced by, gospel, uh, by the gospel of Matthew as well. And you all recall that story. Then next, Jesus as being the gateway for his sheep, meaning that salvation can only be found in and through Jesus. We all know the scripture of John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. John was very specific in highlighting that. The next one was Jesus as being a good shepherd, as referenced in the Old Testament, and the expectation of the coming Messiah. Now, obviously, if we, if we understand the, the, the history and the background, we'll know that, obviously, they were, they were waiting for this coming Messiah, and they obviously had this fairy tale idea of how the Messiah would come, and how that picture would look like, and basically, John 
is bringing that story to them as Jesus being a good shepherd. The next one there is Jesus as being the one who raises people from the dead, as in the case of Jairus' daughter and the widow's son at the city nine, and obviously the death of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus. The last one, as I mentioned already, was Jesus as being the way, the truth, and the life, and as being the very reason why the Father sent his only son. And that takes, to my, takes, me, takes me to my first point, to God be the glory. If you have your Bibles here, you're more than welcome to read with me. But we're going to start with John 11, and we're obviously going to spend time during this sermon only in one scripture. John 11, verse 1 to 45. So we're going to start with the first four. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister where Martha lived. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man or Son of God may be glorified in and through it. Here's the reality of the story. Obviously, if you, if you read it and, and, and you think about Lazarus, if this illness does not lead to death, that is exactly what happened. So obviously, we need to anticipate that Jesus knew what was going to happen. And I want to make this bold statement tonight for us, maybe as a church. And I want to say that if God is not glorified by His church or by our collective worship or by our devotion, we are doing all this in vain. If God does not get the glory, there's no point of doing this. Not at all. Too often we, we glorify preachers and leaders or churches and we give them the honor, we give them the glory. And I have this story that I would love to tell and be a little bit of vulnerable tonight if I can. But there was, I started as a, as a youth pastor literally nine years back, well, eight years back and basically in three years, uh, three years, three days from now, it would be nine years uh, from now. I started as a youth pastor in Kompas Gemeente in Van Abel Park. Who celebrated that? I was like, yeah, no, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, she, she was from Transvalia. But I started there in Kompas Gemeente. And obviously, I, I was devoted to, to, to really doing school ministry. And, and at a time, I was actually invited to Driuk School so often that the youth started knowing me well. And it was basically time after time, obviously, after every sermon, you, you get pumped up because the youth would come to you and say, yeah, Maritz, that was such an amazing sermon and we love it so much. You are such a funny pastor. We enjoy your humor and it's great. And I started being pumped up. My ego was, was being pumped up. And I remember the scenario going to Driuk, it was probably the eighth or ninth time that I preached at Driuk Worship School. And God humbled me like never before. I went up, I, I literally did my sermon notes. I, I, I prepared my sermon, obviously, for the day. And I got to Driuk School, and the headmaster called me up to the stage. And he was like, oh, guys, I'm not even going to introduce Moritz to you because you know him. And this crowd went mad. And it's just like, woo, you know, like, uh, you know it's, it's amazing. And then I got to the stage, and for one moment, it's, the, it's, the, it's a time in my life that I, could, I can tell you now, I've never heard God speak more clearly than that day. I already prepared, even in my sermon notes, the jokes that I'm going to hoi in there. Um, I already I had everything sorted. And I remember in that moment, as I'm standing on the podium, with my notes in front of me, I couldn't remember a thing. 
I didn't know what's what's going on in my notes. I'd, I'm seeing a bunch of random scriptures and stuff that I'm that I'm want to refer to, but I remembered nothing. And in that moment, I heard God clearly speaking to me and said, "Moritz, if you want the glory for this, I will let you to it." And I remember I had to repent in front of the school, and I went on my knees because obviously there was like a two-minute silence and they were thinking, what, the, what is going on with this preacher? <laughs> There's something wrong with this guy. He's not even speaking and the, the headmaster is looking at me like. <laughs> and I had to repent and I said to God, if, if this is ever, ever about me again, please take me, take me away. And from the day on, I started writing my name. I think my balance is not great. Um, but I started writing my name on the floor before I preach. And I would say, I'm leaving you behind because it's not about you. I'm only an instrument in God's hands. To God be the glory. There's this beautiful song, which my, my wife knows very well. I, I never remember the song's names or who sings it. But it proclaims the following words. It says, no matter what I go through in this world, as long as you get the glory for this. And I remember listening to the songs and, and it touched my heart quite deeply because I realized there was a time where I was seeking the glory. I wanted to be the, 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 the famous pastor because obviously I think your neighbor would be able to tell you that in Funabel Park you get famous quite easily. Um, <laughs> it's like you walk into a mall and everyone greets you, hello, hello, you know, because the, the schools were just like that. I don't, I don't know if they didn't have much entertainment, um, but the reality was pastors was probably to a certain extent the entertainment. Um, and, and yeah, as you, you just soak it up and it's so amazing and everyone knows you and yeah, I just had a very humble moment in that day where God said, if you want the glory, I'll let you do it. I'll leave you to it. And this takes me to my story that how I encountered God in my own life. So talking about miracles, my, my mother was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer when I was grade six at the age of 12. And uh, at the time, we, we went to Levenewoordbermeria to, um, to a healing service, and we earnestly prayed and believed for a miracle that my mother would be healed. And that is exactly what happened. At the end of my grade six year, my mother was healed of cancer completely. One of those moments when she went to the doctor and they did, did the scans and all of those things, and they said to her, this, this doesn't make sense. There's nothing. It's, it's clear. And I glorified God, and I was like, praise God. I'm so, so Faithful, just my, I know God is so faithful and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm trusting Him. And then she was diagnosed with breast cancer again at the age of grade seven. And into my high school year, I thought by myself, well, if God can do it once, He could do it again. And we prayed for it and whatever, but I took it. There's something that I took for granted and she passed away in my grade eight year at, uh, at the age of 14, September 2007. And after that, I went into a phase of rebellion where I was yeah, very naughty in school. I was in Alderaan High School and very, very naughty. Um, yeah, came into trouble like in my first, uh, you know, they don't call it semester's terms. Um, in my first term, I sat, <laughs> sat detention <laughs> probably three times in the first month. Um, it, was, it was terrible. It was really terrible. I went through a rebellion phase, didn't trust God. I, I, I said by myself, well, if God... God doesn't want to heal my mother and that he took her away from me. And yeah, it was a very tough time. And then I had an encounter with Jesus at Loftus for Jesus in, in 2008. 
And I just remember Angus Buchan um, being there, Worm Angus, um, and I made the mistake in the I felt evening service saying Patricia Lewis, and I meant Juanita Duplessis. <laughs> but, but the reality was, yeah, she was, I just remember her singing there, and I, I gave my heart to, to, to Christ that day, and, and, and that day God spoke to me so clearly that He wanted to use me as an instrument, and at the age of 16, I already knew I was going to be in full-time ministry, and God called me into that. But I realized that it was so good going through this because looking back at my mother's death and just realizing that we had a funeral and we, we booked out the, the chapel at Levenewoord, Bermeria, and uh, the chapel could only host 300 people. And there was just above 900 people that ro- rocked up at my mother's funeral. That day I realized the, the amount of impact that my mother had in a 47-year span, and I asked myself the question, if I had to die today, would I be able to look back and say, this is the impact that I had in so many people's lives? Because we take life for granted. And at that moment, I saw my father's life turning around completely. He's in an intimate relationship with God now. He's leading people to the Lord every single weekend. And he calls me on Saturdays after his outreach saying, Maritz, I led 20 people to the Lord. I led 13 people to the Lord. I led 40 people to the Lord. He is so excited about leading people to the Lord. But that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the death of my mother. It was a wake-up call. And I looked at that story, I looked at my mother's life, and I, obviously I know she's in heaven. She had an incredible relationship with God. She was devoted to Christ. And then I said to myself, man, if that is the case, to God be the glory. If people's lives were touched because of her life, to God be the glory. If my family's life were turned around, to God be the glory. And this takes me to my next point. Or just to make a last statement. I realized in my own life, my my worship was dependent on the outcome of my prayers. And so I became the God of my own life. I was not in a space where I would trust the sovereign God that is in control of my life. I wanted things my own way because I thought God took my mother away from me. But when I saw the impact, I realized to God be the glory. This takes me to my next point. Even if we die, John John 11, 6 to 16 says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and and you are going there again. And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So obviously just for context, Jews works 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours. So light, day, that's basically why he's referring to that. And he goes on, he says, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may, be, may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, 
let us also go that we may die with him. So obviously a very dramatic uh, one of the disciples, but he realized that there was two days earlier that the Jews wanted to stone Jesus for the, for the blasphemies that he was teaching or preaching. And for them, it was like, almost like a death sentence. He wants to go back there through the, you know, where, where, he wanted, where they wanted to stone him. So in their mind, um, Thomas was like, okay guys, let us just go with him and let us die with him, okay? Because they thought that'll be the end, that will be. And then I asked myself the question after reading this. Well, I asked myself a few questions. The first one was, are we committed and dedicated to God even to the point of death? Are we willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the truth? Is the gospel still enough for me to accept anything that comes my way, whether it be good or bad? And the last question I ask myself, that you may ask yourself as well, sitting here, are Jesus only good when things go well in my life? Or is Jesus good irrespective of my situations and circumstances I face? This was the very real questions I had to ask myself. Is God good even when it goes bad? Because his character stays the same. Sometimes we don't see what the sovereign God does. And sometimes we just have to trust in God. Saying, Lord, lead me, even if it's tough. I remember these words of David playing through my head that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear or dread no evil because you're with me. He's not trying to get around it or get past it. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil because you're with me. And it takes me to my second point, uh, my next point. Even if he's four days late, he is still on time. You all remember that song? Even if he's four days late, he's still on time. I'll explain the context now. John 11, verse 17 to 27 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. Now the Jews believed earnestly that a person's soul hovered for three days above the body, and only after, on the fourth day, a person can be declared dead. Now, if you remember in Jairus' daughter's uh, uh, example and uh, uh, the person's, I think it's sister, or let me just see, let me just see that. Yeah, in the, in the case of Jairus' daughter and the widow's son at the city nine, it was within the first two days that God went and resurrected them from the dead. But the Jews didn't see that as being as a resurrection because they believed that the soul hovers above the body for three days. And only on the fourth day, someone can be declared dead. And that's why Jesus waited three, four days intentionally. So that they don't have that excuse in saying that, I want to show you something of the resurrection that is to come. And therefore, I'll wait four days to, to show you the miracle that will come through that. And it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So you can realize in her mind, this was also not an option. The idea of a resurrection was never an option. That's why she was basically referring to this. And then it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into this world. Isn't it amazing that Jesus waited intentionally for four days 
just to show them the miracle that happened, that can happen in and through him, establishing his identity as being the God of this world, God of this universe, so that they can realize who he is, so they can have faith in the foundation that he's already established. And obviously this was showing to his resurrection, and this takes me to my next point. We worship a compassionate and loving God. John 11 verse 28 to 37 says, when she had said this, she, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went with him or to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The shortest scripture or the shortest uh, verse in the entire scripture, Jesus wept. Isn't it amazing that it zones into this, this, this idea that the God of this universe, the Alpha and Omega, the start and the finish, saw their crying, their weeping, and he wept with them, even knowing what the outcome would be. Such a special thing. And then you'll hear the, the Jews said, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them could, sorry, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You hear what their words are? Kept this man from dying. Because in their mind, if he came earlier, he could have kept him from dying. Lazarus. I want to make a, another statement saying that there's absolutely no religion on earth that stakes claim to a God being compassionate, loving, and understanding God like the God of Christianity. No religion whatsoever. And this is why I brought this book along specifically because if you know the story of Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi, you'll know that in his own life, he was seeking the truth so earnestly. And then in his longing to seek Allah with his entire life, he found Jesus. And he said there was a moment where he was struggling with his faith so much. And he was crying, he was weeping, he was really going through a tough time at that moment because the truth was presented to him and he could no longer ignore the truth. Then he started, he had two books in front of him. He had the Quran in front of him and he had the, the, um, the Bible in front of him. And he was searching through the Quran for just any scripture that would bring some sort of comfort or just consoling him in a way and he found nothing. It took him five scriptures into the New Testament of the Bible to find the words that blessed is those who mourn because God will comfort him or them himself. Hear those words. Blessed are those who mourn because God himself will comfort. Isn't it beautiful to think about it? It took him five chapters, only five chapters into the New Testament to read those words. And that's where he gave his heart to Christ, if you know the story. It's special if you think about it, just in your own life, that we have a God that is compassionate and loving. We have a God who cares. We have a God that wants to live with us in intimacy every single day of our lives. It's such an amazing story. And this, do yourself a favor if you ever are able to get hold of this book. 
read it. It's an incredible book. And this takes me to my last point. Authority over life and death. Hear the words, John 11, verse 38 to 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Sometimes we can easily grace over this last part of the scripture and we think about, if you think about the words, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. If you go search, go on Google and just search Lazarus tomb, okay? Just, just search it. It's, there's steps down. It's like one story down. So this man with a face wrapped with cloth, hands and feet bound with linen strips, and Jesus calling out loud, he came to the, to the let's say, the, the, the entry uh, of the cave. That in and, in and of itself is a miracle, if you think about it. I mean, have you ever tried doing that? Um, maybe go try it tonight. Go bound your hands and feet and try to just walk around the house and with a you know, cloth over your face. It's an, a miracle. It's such an amazing thing, isn't it? Man, I think sometimes I ask myself this question. Maybe some of, our, some of us finds ourselves in a tomb moment currently. Where we feel stagnant and spiritually dead lost all hope or passion for the gospel. Knowing that you've tasted and seen the glory of God in your life before and you need a serious awakening from God. If I'm speaking to you tonight, if if that is describing you perfectly tonight, can I invite you to stand? If you're feeling spiritually stagnant, spiritually dead at the moment, and you just need an awakening from God, please take the liberty to stand. We want to pray with you. I know there's more than one. Yes. Some of us just needs a fresh anointing on our lives. Just a fresh inpouring of God's Spirit into our lives. And let's have a proper family moment tonight. All these people standing, let's come around them and pray with them this ministry moment. We are a family just like we're a family with a baptism. Let's be a family in prayer. Let's pray for them.
tonight, we just bring our hearts in front of you and we surrender with, with all of us, Lord. We don't want some of it ourselves, Lord. We go all in and say, Lord, take control of my life. I surrender to my own will. I surrender to your will, Lord. I don't want to be in control of my own life, Lord. Therefore, lead us, guide us, show us the way. Lord, thank you for calling us out just like you've called out Lazarus out of the tomb. Thank you for calling us out, Lord. Giving us a fresh anointing, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are using us as instruments in your hands, Lord. Such a privilege to be an instrument in your hands. Therefore, tonight, Lord, if we have anything in our lives that we are worshiping or putting above you, Lord, we put it in front of the cross tonight. We honor you and we love you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.